Blaze Radio Network. And now, Reform This with Dr. Sudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. I hope and pray you're all having a wonderful holiday season as you gather together in this blessed season. And for my Christian uh, brothers and sisters, may you have a blessed and Merry Christmas. For my Jewish brothers and sisters, hope you had a wonderful Hanukkah. And uh, for all the rest of us, uh, hope your time together with family and coming to the end of the year, we take time for reflection as the number of fronts, the number of stressors on our communities, on our families, on our cities and states, on this country have never been more and as we reflect and as we move into 2024 i hope we're able to harness to harness the strength of the foundations of this country to protect us against the policies against the obvious deterioration of uh, our security our economy and our values and it has never been worse. We see this almost, it seems, every year during the pandemic and before, especially during the Obama administration. And it seems that this is even beyond our wildest dreams of how f- how horrific, how terrible things would be under Biden, as it's even worse than an Obama 3.0. And word has it he's pulling the strings God knows who's the ultimate policy setter. It's certainly not President Biden, who doesn't even seem to have the cognitive wherewithal to direct himself on and off the dais, on and off podiums and stages and through pressers. And the only media and interviews he is doing are softball interviews with former talk show host and otherwise, and nothing really reflective of where he and his administration have led us in the past three years. But as we look at the end of this year, you can't help but see some of the major five or six issues. Number one is the economy. Every family, every individual I talk to in my practice, patients and and others are concerned. Somehow the inflation rate just doesn't seem to capture where we're at. Somehow the inflation rate avoids the fact that most families feel that when they go to the stores, things are beyond 8%, 4% inflation, and rather 30 40% higher at restaurants and grocery stores and gas stations and, and all of the regular supplies that they need to live. They're working harder to get less. They're more stressed, more anxious, and yielding less. Their kids are going to school with higher student debt. Their aspirations have been put on hold as the time they had to invest in other degrees, other businesses, other types of long-term investments have been put on hold as the debt 
continues to climb. Their health care has been deferred because of inability to, of, to pay for co-pays and co-insurance as things become more and more expensive, contrary to the billing, contrary to the way that the propaganda of Obamacare was advertised. It's not more affordable health care. It's less affordable. The economy is the number one issue. And every election we hark, hearken back to, I believe it was under Reagan, in which in the first campaign against Carter, he asked the American people, are you better off today than you were four years ago? And the inflation rate at the time was 12 13%. Unemployment rate was high. We had hostages taken in Iran, on and on. And the American people resoundingly in a landslide elected President Ronald Reagan. And I think this election in 2024 is going to be another, another 1980 and another 1994 with elements of each pushing in. Now, in 1994, the Clinton administration had only been two years in, but there was a huge sweep through Congress to reject the Democratic power play that was happening with attempts at Hillary Care and other aspects, and I think now the House will see a swipe, a sweep with an increase in the Republican numbers, which are barely on a hair, hair level shoestring, if you will, of eight votes. Now seven with the discharge of Santos and the Senate with a Democratic majority. We'll see. We'll see what the next election has. But it's also not just about elections. It is about the health of our country. It is about the next generation. The next generation's ability at the end of this year. Do you feel that the coming generations, the millennials, the Z, the Zers, the Gen Zs, and others will have the foundations to lead this country? will have the moral fiber, the character to lead this country. They might be well-intended, and no one is indicting their moral fiber as a generation, but the institutions are being dismantled that are the infrastructure of societal cohesion. And these are the other issues that dominated this year. The hemorrhaging border the destruction of American identity and American sovereignty as a result of a hemorrhaging border that brought with it not just actually minimal numbers from Mexico, but rather hundreds of thousands from across the planet that were being ushered in because the green light was coming from the bully pulpit of the White House. So it's not just the fact that our customs and border patrol were prohibited from executing the law and sealing the border, which is already part of the law. But rather, the the green light coming from the bully pulpit was that the world should just come on in and destroy any meaning of what it means to be American. And that doesn't matter what they believe or whether they want to come to accept Americanism. No, they just come on in. So national sovereignty destroyed by a physical removal of the border and also a conscious removal of Americanism, I think will punctuate what 2023 was. And that 
conscious removal of Americanism is the assault from abroad into our country by the red-green axis. And that red-green axis of the communist, the Chinese Communist Party, the neo-Marxists of movements in the world from Russia to Africa to the South America and others, the neo-Marxists working hand-in-hand with the Islamists of Iran, of the Muslim Brotherhood, of all the legacy groups that have been part of the head of our spear and the work that I've been doing at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, our Muslim Reform Movement, and come our Clarity Coalition. Clarity, standing for Champions of Liberty against the reality of Islamist tyranny. Clarity. And this, we've been talking about, I was testifying to Congress about the Red-Green Alliance, the Red-Green Axis, long before it was cool to be canceled. Long before wokeism was a word that anybody even articulated, we were talking about identity politics and the move to make Islam, which is an idea, not a human being, not a entity that deserves protection, but rather an idea. And to make that into an identity. And Islamophobia was a mechanism of invoking blasphemy laws in the United States and in the West. And then come the pandemic. We saw blasphemy laws invoked by our government against those who questioned vaccines, those who questioned masking, those who questioned pandemic policies of shutting down businesses, of disease trading. Priorities that the American public in a free enterprise system and a free market and free press, free speech system of autonomy should have had the right to decide for themselves. But yet, the decisions were being made for them by a democratic come autocratic government in the setting of justification of a pandemic. And listen, I understand for a few weeks until we know what's happening, you shut things down, but it should never be, never be beyond six weeks. And that's not an arbitrary mechanism. It's hard to destroy a society in four to six weeks. It's easy to destroy a society when you paralyze it for six to 12 to 18 months. And as we saw, acceptance states that liberalize some of those draconian mechanism as in Florida, South Dakota, Arizona, and others, i.e. <laughs> all red states. So the infiltration of the social attack through DEI programs, through wokeism, through supposedly under the rubric of diversity, equity, and inclusion, actually it was bigoted. It was racist by saying that certain races deserved preferential treatment above the others. And if you question that, you were a bigot. So all of a sudden, the weaponization of government on behalf of certain races, not because of ideas, but because of identity politics, which ultimately was the profound ascension in 2023 of the idea of wokeism. That ultimately, if you're not woke, you're asleep. 
if you're not defending and saying that America was somehow evil, was somehow colonialist, formed on stolen land, all of these defensive postures were done to demean this country and destroy and, and dismantle Americanism. Nobody's saying that there wasn't a certain amount of bigotry that we've always been trying to defeat and move forward through the civil rights movement of the late 60s and 70s and continuing to do so. But the BLM movement from the beginning, we highlighted that there were leaders within it and if not at the front of their marches and riots that were advocating violence, advocating the destruction of businesses and were virulent anti-Semites. I wrote about it in Newsweek in 2020 and 2021 in long editorials that discussed how disgusting the anti-Semitism of Nation of Islam operatives from Farrakhan on down and the leader of the Women's March and others that should have been marginalized and yet were lionized by the Black Lives Matter movement and thus quickly turned on a dime the implementation of diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. That was the epitome of what came to fruition in the last year, in 2023. But people have had enough. And ultimately it was the barbaric attacks by a evil organization of Islamist militants, Hamas, upon our closest ally in the Middle East, if not the world, Israel, and its filming of the burning of babies, beheading of children, and rape of women and elderly and others that began the process of finally an offense from the rest of us against wokeism, against virulent anti-Semitism, as all of a sudden people were just bewildered by the ascension of anti-Semitism. They were like, how did this happen? Where did this come from? Talk about being asleep. Finally, America began to awake to the rot that was happening in our universities as university presidents and God bless Elise Stefanik for, and others for a questioning that pushed the presidents to make a statement clearly without moral equivocation about genocide. And nobody would have thought that that was going to be a hard thing to do. And somehow, President Gay from Harvard and the president from Penn State equivocated equivocated that well it depends on the context would you allow speech that advocated the genocide of the jews well it it uh, is uh, that was their their response testimony viewed hundreds of millions if not a billion times penn state's president now resigned fired Harvard president still reserved her job as questions, questions are uh, uh, a plenty about not only her moral decay, 
but the fact that she herself ascended through false pretenses through plagiarized writings and other aspects of what would hardly be meritocracy and is more likely the blind acceptance of affirmative action this is the state of america's best and brightest today is that our institutional leaders not just not even the valedictorians not even the leading professors but the presidents of these universities could not make it clear about what are the limits of free speech something that should have been so poignantly easy and had there not been this war in the middle east would we ever have found out would the wokists have ever been put on defense as they finally are? Would major donors to Ivy League schools be finally peeling away and speaking out about the institutions of Americanism that are being destroyed? Bill Ackman and others that have finally, finally been listened to about their, their inherent disgust with the boards and the schools that they supported to the tunes of hundreds of millions of dollars and it's not just the individual private donors that are americans but the anti-semitism that is at the rot of a bigger bigotry that's happening not just against the jewish community but against individuals that speak out individuals that reject diversity, equity, and inclusion programs that are neo-Marxist, critical race theory mechanisms for actually dividing society into tribes rather than uniting us under a united sense of values like our Constitution calls for. A DEI program, critical race theory, made, made to actually dismantle the concept of a social contract in which we are truly a colorblind society as martin luther king jr called for but actually a society that tribalizes based on skin color based on ethnic origin based on certain faiths like the islamists want the political islamists of the muslim brotherhood that want to make any criticism of their versions of islam prohibited because Remember, this didn't just come from internally, and it's not just the private donors that finally are awakening, because it's not just a few hundred million from few major donors, but billions from Qatar, from China, foreign interests that finally were getting a return on their investment. Why would they? Why would Qatar want to invest? It's not just the Middle East Studies Association that was about about forcing lifting up ideas anathema to american constitutional equality and liberty and freedom no it was about creating firewalls that prevented critical thinking that prevented criticism of the very ideas that they then created this cultish the dei programs also had within them a cultish mindset to begin meetings by declaring declaring that this was taking place over stolen land and we saw this in medical schools law schools 
organized advocate national meetings, all of a sudden, these meetings turned into cultish displays of a reading of preambles of DEI program initiatives that were started in the tunes of tens of millions of dollars in each institution to begin to begin to talk about and create a brainwashing propaganda mechanism of DEI, which was the neo-Marxist mechanism of preventing criticism, of preventing individualism, that the tribe is more important to protect than the individual, that the post-Enlightenment modernity was to be dismantled. And we see this not only in the United States, but through Europe. And other changes in 2023 included the ascension of the likes of Geert Wilders in the Netherlands. Now you can get into the internal politics of what happened in the Netherlands, get into the, you know, there was some obviously influence of farmers and, and other union-breaking, union-lifting mechanisms within the politics of the day. But at the end of the day, if you look at Mr. Wilder's last 10 to 15 years of ascension in Dutch politics, it's hard to deny that it wasn't the immigration issue that ultimately the illegal immigration, the onslaught of a minimization of Dutch national identity that led what is described. Now, I, I, when things are described as far right, I always take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, there are some areas of Wilder's platform that should be dissected and looked at as to whether it's truly about freedom and liberty. And I'll leave that to the Dutch media to do, to talk about. I've been to the Netherlands twice, 2008 and 2009, in a programs I did on freedom and liberty, citizenship and liberty. We talked to schools there, we talked to Islamic schools. Our embassy there at the time, Roland Arnal, was the ambassador from the United States, a Bush appointee. I'm sorry, it was 2007 and 2008. A Bush appointee. And he articulated our programs, which was national identities about, for our programs, being American first, believing in social cohesion, rejecting political Islam, theocracy of any faith, and this is exactly, you know, that is exactly the mantra, the formula that Geert Wilders in many ways was embracing is, what does it mean to be Dutch? Are we going to have a loss of Dutch identity into oblivion? And people are getting more and more concerned, more and more fearful, and rather than address those fears, they were attacked as being extremist and fascist and hypernational and other things. And some of those streaks may have had a bit of concern to them. But at the end of the day, you address the primary problem, which is what is happening to national identity in each of the European countries? There was a whole question years ago about the dissolution of the EU and Britain separated. So there is a pendulum swinging now back 
in the West to save the West. And I think at the end of 2023, one of the messages that is inalterably, unequivocally to be taken into 2024 is that we need an offense to save the West. That offense includes when our allies like Israel go to war against Hamas, that war should be until Hamas either surrenders and releases the hostages and submits itself to the court, Israeli court system, or until their military and government is decimated. And as much as possible to limit, if not completely avoid the loss of innocent life. But this is obviously impossible in any war, especially cowards like terrorists and Islamists that hide behind innocent civilians and within non-combatants and don't have any spine in which to actually declare war against Israel, but rather take hostages, commit war crimes, slaughter 1,400 plus Israelis on October 7 and then continue to slaughter more as now they, according to the UN, are the victims. This is just, this is again the red-green axis. And as we go into 2024, you prevent war through deterrence. You prevent war through strength and standing behind the moral clarity that is the principles of freedom and democracy against militant Islamist organizations. And we saw an imam, for example, in Michigan, an imams that were praising jihad and blaming the U.S. for the genocide in Palestine. As experts say, and experts talk about the rise of extremism and jihadism after the Hamas war. And we saw, ladies and gentlemen, this year, I have been talking to you ever since the Holy Land Foundation, actually ever since 9-11, that the alphabet soup of Islamic organizations are Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups that are Islamist, some of which are civilizational, nonviolent jihadists, and some of which are peri-violent, which means sometimes they apologize for terrorism, and then others that are just overt radical terrorist groups like Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Hamas, and others. Bottom line is, is they drink from the same trough, from the same Kool-Aid of radical Islamism, from Salafi jihadism, which is that... The world is divided into the land of war and the land of Islam. And anything goes in the land of war. And we were talking about the need to delegitimize and marginalize radical groups like CARE. And at the time, in 2010 and 11, as we were fighting the Ground Zero Mosque, as we were testifying to Congress in 2011, 2013 about the undercurrents of the radicalization of Muslims across the country and what was the conveyor belt that they start off as simply those who question and push forth 
conspiracy theories and hate America and and push forth the Islamic propaganda from Iran and from the Ikhwan, which is the Muslim Brotherhood in Arabic, from Egypt, Hezbollah, all these other groups across the world, hundreds of millions out of the 1.7, 1.8 billion Muslims. Huge population that includes large fonts in the media, such as Al Jazeera, that radicalized many, many Muslims. And that alphabet soup, we said, is a is a apologetic group of radicals that are not only anti-Semites, but anti-American, anti-Western, anti-freedom. Stop using the CARES, the Council on American-Islamic Relations. Stop using them to represent American Muslims. Oh, but no. That was, we are, I'm the, still listed on CARES list of American Islamophobes that gives a voice to those who are bigots against Islam. And I don't know how you could be a bigot against an idea. Islamophobia is a contrived term to prevent criticism of their political Islam, of their theocratic mindset. And now, two weeks post 10-7, Nihad Awad, in, in a speech released a few weeks later, just a, a month ago, made it painfully clear what his position is and that he was proud of the Palestinians that breached the perimeter in Gaza and went to express. And I'm paraphrasing. I don't have the quote in front of me, but I'm. it was pretty darn close to this that he was proud of them breaching the perimeter in Gaza and showing their rights to be free and not to be occupied and to go into Israel, which he says is Palestinian land. Never did he even criticize at that point the horrors committed by the Palestinians. For all we know, he thinks that's some kind of somehow made up another conspiracy. Never has he called for the surrender if you know, for all the Arabs and Palestinians and others that um, um, love the Palestinian communities, then join me, join me in calling for their surrender. If you want to end the loss of any further life, call immediately that the leadership of the Hamas government immediately surrender themselves to authorities. Raise the white flag, release the hostages. And surrender yourself to Israeli courts. Why is that such a, a leap? I don't understand. The war is just going to end now as a ceasefire, indefinite ceasefire. There have been some ceasefires to allow humanitarian aid. But 2023 seems to have really, really punctuated where our moorings, our moorings and our moral understanding have, has, has been unhinged in that somehow in just war... It's not about defeating the militant, even beyond animals, the barbarians that do what they did. No, it's somehow just, you do it for a week or two and then stop. That's not what we did in Afghanistan. Obviously, we should have withdrawn earlier. But initially, until we decimated Al-Qaeda, we were never going to leave that place. And we shouldn't have. 
because that's where bin Laden planned his plot to attack the United States of America. Look back at other wars, World War II and elsewhere. When you are attacked, until the other side surrenders, you have a justifiable rationale to prevent a future attack from the same evil entity from the same evil entity that decided to try to decimate you. Obvious rules of war. Yes, each side should adapt and adopt to Geneva Convention rules. And there's been a lot of pieces out there from Jonathan Tobin and others about how the IDF has applied itself with the rules of engagement. I've talked to you about that on previous podcasts. But at the end of the day, we've learned this year that it goes beyond. It's not just the removal of a scab of deep-seated pus of anti-Semitism that's been brewing in the infection that is the university system and that is the media and the left and the far left. And there's been now a rupture. I think 2023 is going to be highlighted by this deep rupture within the far left. deep rupture in the far left between the progressivists that harbor conspiracies about the Jews and conspiracies about the end of the world from climate change and conspiracies about the right that somehow everything is some type of cataclysmic event. January 6th wasn't just a bunch of infusion of a few demonstrators that got violent and the vast majority were there for peaceful marching, but it was an insurrection against our government, an insurrection that didn't include significant amount of weapons or anything. But it was a conspiracy theory. The vast majority of Americans in the moderate center reject that. And yet the government has been weaponized. There's been a rupture now, clear, finally, a rupture on the far left between the rational center and the progressivist extreme left. I've spoken to many, many on the left that didn't understand why the government had to be so weaponized and what it did in the pandemic and shutting businesses and shutting free speech down. And then we saw President Trump just removed from a ballot in Colorado by an all-Democrat Supreme Court. And I think the greatest quote was, regardless of, you know, listen, before I tell you the quote, before, regardless of what you feel about President Trump, this, I have to tell you, as a, as a, as a Syrian-American, it is incredulous to me how much this harkens to tyrannies Sort of like I was pushing the hashtag Colorado Caliphate. Is that, are they trying to mimic banana republics where where individuals are just removed from a ballot like Putin does to his folks that uh, uh, try to question him? Or, or this is, and the ultimate quote was, it's, an, it's amazing that folks who constantly ridicule the right because they question legitimacy of elections, then 
do so by removing people from removing candidates, leading candidates from the ballot. Seems to be a bit of hypocrisy, doesn't it? Let the people's voice declare itself. Let elections be done fairly. No indictment of the, of the president, no legal justification, and the interpretation of the 14th Amendment has been soundly criticized of what the Colorado court did. And, you know, as I said at the time of the ruling, uh, I hope and pray our Supreme Court with a 9-0, 9-0 opinion pushes that back and says, you got to be blanking kidding me. My friend Seth Leibson had a wonderful monologue about what the legal interpretation should be of what happened in Colorado. So we look back at 2023. The economy and the pressures to every family grew because we weren't being led by a growth economy that took government out of the way, that tried to minimize unfunded mandates and drive the engine of American economy of small businesses. But no, we saw private equity and large firms starting to buy up businesses and clot the American economy into some kind of growth, which was not growth of health, but growth of strokes and heart attacks of that clot of of acquisitions and destruction and inflation. We saw the border hemorrhaging with millions coming through, hundreds of thousands a month, destroying the dream, the American dream, because they weren't coming to be entrepreneurs. They weren't coming because of ideological desire for asylum, but traveled through four or five countries to get here. So it's not about asylum. It's about invading America with a promiscuously non-American idea that would destroy our cohesiveness. We saw social destructions by a wokeism that exaggerated identity politics that no longer had the central clarity of what it is to be a man and a woman, but changed our pronouns, changed our language, changed women's sports with no frontiers left untouched at the same time at the same time they could not articulate clarity about bigotry against the Jewish community about genocide free speech was being limited by pronoun debates all the while the heads of Ivy League universities couldn't condemn genocide clearly and unequivocally. And the legal arguments are just obvious that you can even have hate speech, but the advocacy for genocide is the direct incitement of killing. Not even, it was been clear by the U.S. Supreme Court, Brandenburg versus Ohio, been very clear. This is what we saw this year. So may we go into 2024 with now the beginning of this offense, this rupture that we need as a movement, as conservatives with clarity, with moral 
clarity and a desire to hold on to American cohesion, American national identity, that we hold on to it and move forward to save the West, to save America first, and then to save the West, which is about freedom and secular liberal democracy, and to reject bigotry of low expectations, to reject tribalism, to reject identity politics and wokeism, and to push forth the American dream, economic growth, sealing the border, and national sovereignty based in a dream that we are that city on a hill. I'm praying for all of you. God bless you and your families. 2024 will be better. We have a lot that not only we can repair, but we will, we will overcome the challenges that we have for a better tomorrow. God bless you all. Hope you had a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and, and, and most importantly, also a Happy New Year. We'll see you soon. God bless. Find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R, and also at Dr. Z for A-Z, D-R-Z-F-O-R-A-Z. God bless. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.